Agreed. We sound wretched. <laughs> That's a good way to describe probably us as well. All right. Well, good morning, guys. Um, before we begin today, uh, talking about chapter 12 of the 1689, let me open it up with just uh, some scripture, and then we'll go and uh, begin with the word of prayer. This is going to be John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let us pray. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be with your people this morning. Lord, as we celebrate birthdays, as we remember loved ones who have since gone on to be with you. Lord, we have so much rejoicing to do this morning because we are your children. And Lord, there's many benefits to being a child of yours. There's many implications and conclusions that we should think about more often, Lord. And really, we would not be tossed to and fro by the things of the world if we had a better understanding of what it means to be a child of God. Lord, so give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. Lord, help me to uh, communicate clearly these truths from your word. And above all, Lord, we pray that you are magnified and glorified this Lord's day. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. And it's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. 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 So let us begin. It's a very short chapter of, of our, our confession. You know, generally, whenever we have someone read, it's like three or four paragraphs. Well, this morning, it's only one paragraph, and I was able to fit it very nicely at the, at the top of the page. So if you didn't have your books with you, you know, you would still know what we're talking about, and you could follow along. So if I could have a person read paragraph one, the only paragraph of chapter 12, that would be awesome. I teach high school, so I can I can stand here literally all day long waiting on. Thank you. God has granted to all those who are justified to receive the grace of adoption in and for the sake of His only Son Jesus Christ. By this, they are counted among the children of God and enjoy the freedom and privileges of that relationship. They inherit his name, receive the spirit of adoption, have access to the throne of grace with boldness, and are enabled to cry, Abba, Father. They are given compassion, protection, provided for, and chastened by him as a father. Yet they are never cast off, but are sealed for the day of redemption, and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. Very good. Thank you so much, Mike. I begin with a quote by J.I. Packer from his book, Knowing God. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and the whole outlook of his life, 
it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. And as someone who has struggled um, in previous years of my life, over there, brother. Well, they're all gone. I struggled for years, as I probably have testified before, with the assurance of my salvation. Very early on in my Christian life, going through, we are prone to wonder, amen, and going through a season of wondering, where I was not in his word, when I did not feel like my prayer life was as good as what it could be, I felt like God was always angry at me, I feel like he frowned upon me. I feel like it was something that, um, that he reneged upon because I wasn't good enough. But again, that's placing everything on whom? Myself. And not on the one who successfully sent his done to die on a cross for, for me, for you. The one who chose before the foundation of the world a people who would be justified by his grace in something that can never, ever, ever be lost. We are sealed. Again, it is awesome and edifying and so good to reflect much upon this doctrine of, of adoption. So, just as it is in my classroom, if you're a teacher, then you know there are such things called primer questions. And this is whenever you begin a lesson by asking questions that stimulate thought and help critical thinking. So, question one. Why is the doctrine of adoption so important? Why should we spend time studying it? Well, one reason might be to make your calling and election sure. Okay. Very good. Thank you, Denise. Anyone else? Why is it important to study this doctrine? Very good. So to know this a, a doctrine is to really understand Christianity all the better. Okay? I like that. How could a misunderstanding, question two, how could a misunderstanding of adoption into God's family hurt or stunt a person's walk with the Lord? Not understanding the relationship. Very good. Can you speak a little bit more about that relationship, Mike? Well, if you don't know if you're a son or a daughter of, of God, you, you might think that you would fall out of fellowship or, or fall out of relationship with God, and that'll never happen. Very good. You're still always a child of God. Amen. And that's, I'm glad he mentioned that because, you know, very briefly this morning, we're going to be talking about our union with Christ. And... Uh, that is another doctrine that is so important to know, to know that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. Um, much can be said even about that. We do not have the time to, to go too far into what our union with Christ is all about, but it is going to be touched on a little bit this morning. Question three, how might you respond to someone who did not have a correct view of this doctrine? How might you respond to someone? What would you do? Show them in truth and love. Show them in truth and love. Just 
open up God's Word, let Scripture be the truth, and Ronnie, you're going to be the mouthpiece for God. Amen. Very good. It's really, it's, it's, it's simple, it may not be easy, but we just open up God's Word and we point and we say, look, this is what God clearly says. Very good. So now we're going to talk, we're going to go into really the foundations of this doctrine. I'm going to give you guys a couple of quotes by some uh, heroes in the faith. R.C., nobody is born, that, does that say born? My eyes, yeah, the R and the N looks, looks really together, but it's born. Spell check, I used it. Nobody is born into this world as a child of the family of God. We are born as children of wrath. The only way we enter into the family of God is by adoption. And that adoption occurs when we are united to God's only begotten son by faith. When by faith we are united with Christ, we are then adopted into the family of whom Christ is the firstborn. C.H. Spurgeon. Who is to have authority in the matter of gracious adoption? The children of wrath? Surely not. And yet all men are such. No, it stands to reason, to common sense, that none but the parents can have the discretion to adopt. So again, this is appealing to the foundation of adoption. Who are the recipients? Is it certain people? Is it everyone? A quick definition of adoption there for you. Under point two, letter A, adoption is the gracious act of God wherein he makes justified sinners his beloved children. So we know that the people who are the recipients of adoption, they're specific people. In other words, adoption into God's family is not universally, there's your first blank, for everyone. Adoption into God's family is not universally for everyone. Have you ever heard that said? We, we, we work at a Christian school, a lovely Christian school here in town where my wife and I teach. And, you know, we've heard it multiple times that everyone here is a child of God. And, you know, the people who say that generally are people that I work with and I have to be very careful and I'm like, no, they're, they're not. Lord willing, they will be, but not everyone is. Okay? It's not universal. John Murray wrote, To substitute the message of God's universal fatherhood for that which is constituted by redemption and adoption is to annul the gospel. It is not universal. Well, I've always heard that everyone is children of God. Well, there's a couple of things that are, I guess they're kind of confused. Everyone is made in the image of God. Not everyone is a child of God. But do we see how everyone who is made in the image of God can be misconstrued as everyone is a child of God? That's usually the issue. That's where they get the lines crossed. Who can read for me John 8, 42 through 47? That's going to be the first piece of scripture that we're going to this morning. John 8, 42 through 47. I've got it. Thank you, sir. Jesus said to them, 
If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent of me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Thank you, sir. Whenever Brandon was given his uh, rally speeches at the beginning, he, he gave a very concise but very descriptive gospel presentation. And in that gospel presentation, before people took the field, he talked about following the plan of the master builder, using the master builder's playbook, as well as the appeal to men to hear and to obey. To love Christ is to obey Christ. But Brandon said, not everyone can hear or obey. Why is that? Why cannot everyone submit to God? What prevents them from submitting to God? Their sin. Absolutely. So, their sin is what stops them from hearing and obeying the truth. People are born not of blood but not, and not by flesh, but of God. People must be born of God, which enables them to hear and obey. So you're blank in C. Some are children of the devil. Some are children of the devil. Some are born of God. Some are children of God. Others are children of the devil. No one is more qualified to identify true children of God than Jesus, who is the Son of God by nature. In John, in the, the verse that Wesley just read, Jesus rejects their claim of sonship. He rejected their claims because they rejected him. For the mark of a true child of God is embracing Christ by faith. So where does this false doctrine that there is a universal effect or universal nature that everyone is a child of God. Sam Waldron at Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary helps us out. He says this teaching begins with the idea that Adam was the original son of God, not only an image bearer. When Adam fell, this original relationship was lost. And the privilege of being a son of God is almost exclusively limited to those who are objects of God's redemptive purposes and covenant dealings. Thus, it is the original relationship with Adam that explains the references to all people being God's descendants or God's offspring. Because Adam was the original son, and we are all image bearers. Thus, the lines are crossed. People conclude that everyone is a child of God. So who are the recipients of adoption? Let's go to Galatians 3.
Galatians 3, 24 through 26. If I could have a volunteer read that, please. Thank you. Thank you. All those who are what? Justified. Who are the recipients of adoption? All those who are justified. We know from our previous lesson that Edgar gave that those who are justified are done so by God as he freely justifies the person whom he effectually calls. So, it naturally follows that such is the same for adoption. God freely, according to his own counsel and his own will, freely adopts the, per- adopts the person who he justifies. It is all God. But just in case we wanted more evidence, I'm going to give you just one more blank. That before the mountains rose, that rivers ran or birds flew... God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. So it is God who is sovereign over adoption of a people he chose before the foundations of the world. Ephesians 1.5 He is sovereign over adoption. Are we good with our blanks so far? All right. Let's go to F. If he justifies those, if he freely adopts, if he is sovereign over, then God is the source, capital S. He is the source of adoption. How does our beginning of our confession where chapter 12 begin. Who can turn the page for me and read the, the first sentence for me? God has granted that all those who are justified will receive the grace of adoption in and for the sake of his only Son, Jesus Thank you, Justin. <clears throat> who has granted? God has granted. Very good. That's your next point. God has granted. And where we get that is from 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. That's going to be the next verse we go to. First John chapter three, one through three. Who can grab that one for us? I got it. Thank you. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason the reason why the word does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children, now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, he should be, we should be like him, because we shall see him as he is. 
and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Thank you, Sean. God has granted that all those who are justified would receive the grace of adoption. All right. Let's talk about some of the blessings of adoption. And these blessings are so much, guys, that uh, um, probably for the sake of time, we're not going to be able to get to all of them. So I did not include as many blanks. So what I'm hoping is that you'll go through them in your free time because there are just so many blessings and so many benefits of being a child of God. So let's talk about these blessings. Adoption is a change in legal status. Adoption is a change in legal status. This is a forensic transaction, like justification. Whenever I say forensic transaction, what does that conclude? What does that mean? Forensic. Legal? Give me another word for that. Forensic. You're going to ask Siri? (laughs) Forensic. Who can help us out there? Or what do you think it means by legal? Absolutely, I love that term. That would absolutely qualify. Irrevocable. Covenantal. Good, Richie. I like that one as well. It's a irrevocable, a covenantal, a binding transaction. They receive, those who are children of God, they receive a new name. They receive a new name. Let me read for us 2 Corinthians 6. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. There is a new name. So in John Murray's book, Redemption Accomplished and Applied, he defines adoption as a legal act. According to Murray, it is the bestowal of a status or standing whereby we are transferred into the family of God. The marvel of biblical adoption is that we are given the status of children with all of its rights and all of its privileges. So what's one of these privileges or benefits or rights? Moving on, this change takes place if we receive by a new name, a new nature, takes place by faith at the union with Christ. Takes place at the union with Christ. We mentioned a little bit ago that union with Christ is something that should be studied in and of itself, and I wish I had more time to go into it, but we will pick up on a couple of pieces of scripture 
Romans 8, 17, and Galatians 3, 26 through 29. We're just in Galatians, but if you still have your, your finger there, perhaps someone can read on a little bit further. And then another can pick up Romans 8, 17. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. Very good. So, Paul touches on being in Christ Jesus, baptized into Christ, clothe yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, nor male or female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. So this union is a mutual relationship. It's being in Christ, but it's also Christ in you. John 15, John 15 is very rich, but it talks about abiding in Christ, if you, if you abide in me and I in you, right? There's that language of a mutual relationship that's speaking to this union with Christ. Who can read Romans eight seventeen? Thank you. And if then children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, indeed we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. Amen. Thank you, Keaton. So these two verses, few verses rather, speak to this union that we have with Christ that takes place whenever we have faith in Christ. They possess the spirit. People who are children of God possess the spirit of adoption and have the spirit of Christ. No longer, Thus they are no longer slaves of sin. They have a new nature. Once slaves of sin, now slaves of whom? Righteousness. Slaves of God. Children of God. Romans 8, 9 through 14 speaks upon that. I will read that one for you guys since it's a little bit longer. Romans 8, 9 through 14. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you again it's speaking to this mutual relationship we are in him he is in us verse 12 so then brethren we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh for if you are living according to the flesh you must die 
but if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So they're no longer slaves of sin. Slaves in the ancient world moving on to K had much to fear whenever they were serving a harsh master. And Paul touches upon this slave language in, uh, in Romans where he's talking about the believers who receive the spirit of adoption. The spirit would what to their spirits? Do we know who that blank is? How their spirit does what to their spirit? How the spirit does what to their spirit? Close. Bears witness. I think I heard a little whisper over there. How the spirit bears witness to their spirit. That they have now intimacy with God to where they can cry out, Abba, Father. There's intimacy. There's evidence of a relationship that wasn't there before, but is there now. Additionally, the blessings, this union referring to the mutual relationship, as I said a little bit ago, we are in Christ and Christ is in us, will be publicly revealed, publicly revealed at the resurrection. Let's go to 1 John again. We read this just a little bit ago, but I'd like to be read again along with Romans 8.23 if someone could get that as well. Thank you, Sierra. In Romans 8.23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have had the first fruits of the Spirit grow inwardly as we will eagerly or as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Very good. So this public revealment this great love that the Father has lavished upon us, that we, would sh- that we should be called children of God. This public revealment. When is that day going to occur? Do we know? January 1st. <laughs> Very good. Whenever you think about that being publicly revealed, I mean, what does that, what does that make you think of? What encouragement comes to mind, publicly revealed at the resurrection? Christ returns. Okay. Baptism. All right. That is a a, a, a public profession of faith. Absolutely. Um, 
Anything else? Publicly revealed at the resurrection. I heard it once said by R.C. Sproul that the predestined don't know that they're predestined. And really, if you've ever struggled with your salvation, I think C.H. Spurgeon once said that if you'll just point me to where the people are that have the ease on their back, that's who I'll share the gospel with, right? So we don't really know. And there's even brothers and sisters in Christ here at our church now that still struggle with their salvation. How can we help our brothers and sisters in Christ here at Grace Covenant Church if they struggle with their salvation? Because they have questions like, how do I know if I'm predestined? I think you, somebody said it earlier, you gently show them the truth, the word. And the word and the spirit does its work. Good. It's up to God, but we show them. I like that. Anything specifically? What, what, what would you tell that brother or sister in Christ who they're like, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm being faithful to the Lord. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe in his cross work. You know, I, I hate my sin. I love Christ. But how do I know that I'm predestined? They're really getting hinged up on that predestination part. How could we help them? How could we come alongside these brothers and sisters? I like that. Good, Rachel. How could maybe they don't understand the sufficiency of scripture? Could be. Absolutely. So, what I'm trying to do here is. I don't want this doctrine to be something that just kind of makes us feel warm and fuzzy because not everyone feels warm and fuzzy based upon this doctrine because they still struggle with doubt. They still struggle with their assurance, their eternal security. And we're going to follow, I think I'm the one who's teaching it in fact, but we're going to go over of assurance of salvation. I think it's weeks from now. And Lord willing, whenever we get to that moment, we'll hopefully have some more practical things that we can talk about. Yes, Ronnie? I was going to say, with someone doubting their salvation, you're always good at preaching the gospel. Whether you are a Christian and you have assurance or if you're struggling, the gospel is always pointing you in the right direction. Absolutely. So the, the, the gospel, something that we give even at the conclusion of every service before <laughs> we take the Lord's Supper, that would be edifying for that person. Absolutely, the gospel is not just for unbelievers, but it is also for believers as well. That's very good. Anything else? How could we help brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, I think sometimes people who are doubting feel alone because everyone around them looks so sure. So when I struggled when I was younger, my mom told me something once and stuck with me. She told me I was in good company. And she showed me John Bunyan when he struggled and I read the chief of sinners, and then we see Martin Luther, and we see Spurgeon, that all of these people have struggled at one point. So we're in good company with right. the believers who have also had those same struggles. Absolutely. And that can be reassuring when you look around and everyone looks so assured that, yep. no, this is a, we're in good company. Yeah. 
Absolutely. That's good. Thank you, Christy. You know, I, I in, in Sam Waldron's book, Modern Exposition, and I'll, I'll conclude with this final point. Um, it talks about, and I'm kind of moving ahead a little bit. I'm just jumping ahead just a little bit to assurance. But it talks about not all believers are given the same amount. Not all believers have the same amount of assurance. So it's whenever they become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a new nature. They have union with Christ. Christ is in them. You know, there is a varying degree of assurance in every believer. Some are solid. Some are not. Is that something that could be prayed for? Specifically for that person. Lord, give me assurance. Help me to know that I'm a child of God. Your spirit bears witness with my spirit, Lord. I want to know that intimacy on a deeper level. Is that something that we can pray for them, but they can also pray for themselves? Absolutely. Absolutely. So there, there are brothers and sisters in Christ at our church right now who do struggle understanding how much God loves them, their new nature, their union with Christ. They're no longer children of wrath, but they're children of God. So I hope this will spur on more conversation. Maybe, Lord willing, you'll find another brother or sister who struggles there, and you can help them, point them to God's word, that it's sufficient. Um, yeah, Sean. I was going to say, um, typically, the assurance, um, having confidence that in justification and salvation, it comes from sin. So we can pray for others for, with, uh, for the gift of repentance. That's key. Um, do you do you feel remorseful? You know, having repented, turned to God, ask for forgiveness. Yeah, that's good. So is there is there fruit in keeping with repentance? Right. That's from John as well. Very good, Sean. I love that. All right, guys. I uh, hope you uh, were just reminded this morning. Probably not taught anything new but just reminded about God's goodness in that what a great love the Father has bestowed upon us that we would be called children of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this time this morning. Lord, to spend time in your word. Lord, to be reminded of these precious truths that we are once children of wrath. Lord, that we are following the prince of the power of the air. We're under his control. But Lord, you have set your eyes upon us. You have called us. Lord, that you have redeemed us. Lord, that your spirit now indwells us. We are in you and you are in us. And we have this relationship with, with you. We have this intimacy with you. Lord, help us to abide in you. Lord, help us to understand um, all the benefits and all the blessings of being a child of God. And Lord, help us not to just have this knowledge and store it up in our minds and our hearts, but Lord, help us to use it to edify our other and our brother, other brothers and sisters in Christ here at GCC and abroad. Help us to gently, gently correct with love and with truth the people who misunderstand this doctrine of adoption. Lord, I pray for Pastor um, Joel as he preaches this morning. Lord, I pray that, again, you'll just fill us with your spirit, that you'll empower him, that you'll quicken us. Lord, that you'll help us to uh, be zealous.
for good works and to love one another well. We thank you for Jesus again. Thank you for the redemption that he has secured. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.